Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Wifford. Hello. And today, we are going to be talking about House of the Dragon Episode 3. So, this one is titled, Second of His Name. Before we get into the discussion of the episode here, we're going to give out the typical reminders. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can send us an email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. You can get at us on Twitter, too, if you want. That is at fantasyrewind. And then on Instagram, we are at fantasyrewindpod. Love to talk fantasy with anybody that wants to. Get in contact with us, and we'll send you some stickers. All right, so without any farther ado, Mike, let's dive right into this episode. What did you think of episode three, second of his name? Oh, man, I was waiting for an episode like this where we had some action, right? I feel like everyone's sort of been waiting. You know, we had the jousting in episode one, but that's been really about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this was really good, and crabs on the menu, right? Crabs on the menu, boys, yes. Um, So this episode, in my opinion, was my favorite of the season so far for House of the Dragon as well. And I just loved how... It was pretty much split into these two arcs that were were just very separate, but still very enjoyable, both of them. Um, and I, and I will feel like say, they were very related, you know? They were related in the sense that like they kind of flowed from one right into the other. But while it was happening, I liked how it like how it was a like a closet episode where like everything was happening within like a self-contained area then it moved to another self-contained area and like the theming of both of them is very similar i guess if you think about that that way but yeah all in all that's where i wanted to get okay that's where i wanted to get to is the theming is you had in the one with renera and the other with uh damon right yes and in both i feel like the theme was that they're moving on from the king in some ways or respect they're growing in their own sort of roles Mm. and uh sort of apart from him yeah i mean i thought that one thing that was done very well in this uh in this episode just overall was the king (laughs) i thought that he was done very well and he was actually my favorite character of the episode um which i think this is the second time i've said that (laughs) because <laughs> I think I said the same thing for episode <laughs> two. But yeah, King Viserys is uh, rocking it and is quickly becoming one of my favorite characters on the show here. Um, and in this one here, what really spoke to me about like his performance and like why he was my favorite was just how troubled he was, how expressive he was with his troubles, and just like little things along the way that kind of were swaying him one way or the other as far as, like, who he should name heir, who he should marry mm-hmm. Renera to, all of that. And it was just done in such a way where I felt like it was very believable that he was having sleepless nights about these decisions. And so I really enjoyed the portrayal of King Viserys in this episode. Yeah, let's stick with him for a little bit. Because I think it's really interesting um, some of the things that happened and kind of the interactions within with other people, right? Right, So yeah. he realizes that some people just want to get Rhaenyra so they're getting closer to the crown, right? Exactly. Uh, 
uh, like our favorite, everyone's favorite house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Lannisters, um, which I was just like, what a great portrayal, right? Mm. Fit right in. Um, yeah, he did. And then you have his advisor come up, and he's you know he's drinking at that point, and he's just like, oh, let me guess, you want me to? She should marry your son. And he's like, uh, no, your honor. She should marry the sea snake son and mend your guys' relationship. Which I thought was really, like, a clever kind For of way sure. to yeah. transition to the <laughs> transition over there after uh, they talked about it. And it actually would make sense, too. But at the end, he, he kind of is like, marry whoever you want. I, you know, shore up your line. Right, like, you're, people are worried about secession. Um, that's been, like, a very common theme throughout the last couple generations of Targaryens. They mm-hmm. worried about it with Viserys' predecessor, Jaehaerys, and they worried about it with Viserys now as well, since he doesn't have any male heirs. So well, he's, like... He has one, maybe two. Well, come. one, as of now, Aegon, second of his name, which we'll talk about <laughs> shortly, but... um. Before he married Alicent Hightower, he had no male heirs. So his secession was in doubt as well. That's why, like, Damon was his appointed heir. And then he's like, no, Damon, I'm going to give this to Rhaenyra after all. Um, But, yeah, I thought that what we saw with the king this episode was that struggle between being a king and being a good father and being a good man. And I feel like the people around the king know that Viserys is a weak king. And he has admitted himself, I feel like, that he's a weak king. But he always, it seems, tries to be a good man. And I feel like Alicent used that to her advantage when talking to the king. Like, saying, like, oh, you know... You're a good father. You know, this is what a good father would do. Or this is what a good man would do. When he asked, like, why he would send soldiers to the Stepstones to help out Damon, And she's like, because you're a good man. Do this thing. Like, playing to his own, like, his own weaknesses. And, like, using the political intrigue that we like to see in Game of Thrones properties. Um, and the manipulation that happens with those um, using that against him. And I felt like that just showed a nice duality and showed that while Viserys has weak points, as in being a ruler, he does still have points where you can get behind him as just the man itself. Yeah. Let's talk about his wife a little bit more because I'm a little torn on her. Okay. Uh, so, you know, like you were just saying, he, it seemed like she was manipulating him there to get him to send forces to the Stepstones, but her real goal was probably to get him to name their son the heir right right yeah but she has a very weird dynamic because she's friends or was friends with Renera. was friends yes and i feel like she doesn't really want to push viserys into these things but it's more like she's just being dutiful to her dad and their house and see this is a big departure of what happens in fire and blood versus what happens or what is happening in the show here Because in the show, we're kind of seeing Alicent being manipulated by her father. And her father and the rest of the Hightowers. Like you saw Otto Hightower's brother kind of telling him, Oh, you gotta get your grandson named heir. Like, forget about (laughs) Rhaenyra. Get Aegon named heir. It's just a matter of time. And then so he took that criticism. And then he gave that same criticism down to Alicent. 
and now Alicent's working her uh, her weaves on the king there. Whereas in Fire and Blood, Alicent herself is very cunning and very intelligent and is using her own uh, capabilities to maneuver politically and get what she wants. So it's a little bit of a departure from the character we know in Fire and Blood, but I... I still say she's intelligent and she's manipulative, but... It's at the behest, though, of her father in the show. Yeah, so I feel like they're trying to make her more likable in that regard. Mm. You know, maybe not like this, like the queen from Game of Thrones, uh, you know, Lannister. Cersei? Yeah, thank you, Cersei. <laughs> I feel like maybe they're trying to differentiate her from her, you know? Oh, she's definitely very different from Cersei, I feel like. Like, um, in Fire and Blood, Alicent isn't, like, nearly as what really as cruel and nearly as like full of herself as Cersei is when uh when she's introduced in Game of Thrones and throughout that series there in the Song of Ice and Fire but um I do think that I want to highlight just how how intelligent and how cunning and manipulative Allison is on her own and the source material because I don't want her to seem like a puppet of a character because like I think that she she can stand on her own as far as her own ambition and everything and would be doing what she is doing now without her father kind of pushing her. But that's neither here nor there because in the show we see Otto Hightower being the puppet master behind Allison. But I'm wondering if we're going to see her break free of those strings as well. I feel like we will and I feel like there's pieces missing to her too. Like, I don't think we're getting the whole picture of her yet. Yeah. I tend to agree with you there. I feel like there's... It's still early in the season, and it's only season mm-hmm. one as well. So yeah. we have three episodes in, and lots of time for Allison to stake her own claim and to be like, I'm a major player within this game. So talking about some of the other things that we see here, like... The major theme of the first half of the episode is Renera dealing with the repercussions of her brother or half-brother, Aegon Targaryen, being born. Now, Aegon is Viserys' first son, so a lot of people, as the king is reminded, assume he's going to be heir. Now, the name Aegon is really important because... Aegon the Conqueror is like the fabled Targaryen that rode his dragon from Valyria over to Westeros, took Dragonstone, and then ended up conquering Westeros. So naming his son Aegon puts the weight of that name on this new little little boy. Um, mm. Because everyone's like, oh... Aegon the Conqueror's return, you know, Aegon the Second. Like, they're kind of using his name as a rallying cry to signify, like, strength within the Targaryen house, strength within the succession line, and just using it to uh, kind of send a message to the houses that we are strong, we are the Conquerors, like, we are here to play. We have dragons. Yeah, we got dragons. <laughs> we're we're going to roll over you with them if you try to rebel. And I love how when Viserys is confronted by the one Lannister character there, 
about Aegon becoming the heir and not Rhaenyra. How he's like, it's your duty as a steward of the West to put down rebellion. And he's like, oh, no, no, not rebellion. There's no rebellion going on here. <laughs> we support yeah, you. we just assumed. Yeah. That you would make, that he was going to make him, uh, you know, make him king, like you said. Or make him heir, right? Make him heir, yeah. I think there is a really interesting element to the whole hunt that I kind of wanted to talk about, too. And Definitely. it was the, um, the king of the forest, the white stag, right? Yes. And how they were like, oh, we found... It was very symbolic, you know. Very symbolic. Kind of of out there for us for uh, obvious reasons. But, like, the king, like, had all these people corner this stag. And it doesn't end up being the king, right? It ends up being this imposter, which I feel like is a symbology for him, right? Almost like an imposter king. He's very weak, right? And then you see Rhaenyra, and she she sees the actual king of the wood. And I feel like they're really trying to pump up this whole, like, she's more fit than him. And her coming back into the camp after having to, you know, after running away and uh, kind of staying out in the woods for the night, obviously being so upset with her dad. And, uh, you know, that boar attacks her and, uh, oh gosh, the night And her Kingsguard. Yeah. Sir Kristen Cole. Yes, Sir Kristen Cole. Um... Which, obviously, there's supposed to be some tension there between them, right? For sure, yeah, for sure. Um, But, you know, her killing that boar with her bare hands, coming into camp with that boar, and the people, I I couldn't tell, really, from the other people's faces if they were impressed or... I feel like they took note. Mm. (laughs) I don't know if they were impressed that she comes back to the camp covered in blood and just walking proudly down the line, like... With the boar in tow behind her. Now, I will say, like, I thought that was a nice contrasting, um, like, happening between what King Viserys did in his hunt, where he had mm. everyone, like, hold it still for him to stab. And yeah, and it was versus, tell- being told where to stab and everything. Right, very pampered, very, you know, like, artificial in the hunt itself, versus, like, Renera when she takes down this boar that really Sir Kristen uh, should get half credit or three-quarters credit for killing that thing because he took it down, it was laying down there, it started to get back up, and that's when Rhaenyra jumped on it and just started stabbing it repeatedly, having a cathartic moment of release of all the anger she's had for her father, for her situation, for all of that coming out. But I thought that, again, when you mentioned the symbology between the stag versus the white stag there that was like the king of the wood that was so blatant and like Renera's the one she should be queen however what i want to say is if that's the argument they're trying to make they need to not make Renera as angsty <laughs> and i feel like this is something like i'm seeing portrayed on rings of power with galadriel as well as here in House of the Dragon with Rhaenyra. So but I Rhaenyra, feel like well, hold I on feel a like this is going to be a moment where she starts to transform, right? I this hope so. On. I hope so because Rhaenyra, why I'm why I'm so like bothered by this part of it is because we had another time jump here, which we didn't talk about yet. Um, but there was a time jump of about three Again. years from. 
episode two to episode three here in House of the Dragon. And so over the course of those three years, Rhaenyra has been pushed to the side, basically, whether she did that pushing herself, as we saw early on in this episode, where she was like removing herself from court, hanging out in the gods' woods, listening to the bard play her the same tune over and over again, not wanting to do anything with the family, not wanting to go on this political trip to the Kingswood for a symbolic hunt of her brother's second birthday. All of this stuff, like, she's giving the people no reason to have faith in her that she will be a good heir. Whether that's because she sees it that her father's constantly trying to replace her, or it's because she's a woman, or all of the above. I felt like Renera, while she had reason to like be worried, I feel like, because of what was going on with Aegon and everything, I felt like she took it too far in removing herself from her own duties and not giving the people reason to trust her. Well, I, I might disagree with you a little bit on that because as she said, um, you know, you know, he, he's trying to replace her with an heir, right? Uh, and we've kind of gotten that vibe. But think about, too, all the other men on the council. Anytime she's tried to share her opinion that we saw in the last episode, oh, go do find her something to do, right? And so it's became very obvious. It's probably just, that's probably just continued, right? So how are you supposed to fill a role when you're not even allowed to, like, have any input on it or try things or say anything, you know, when your opinion isn't even valued? Yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like her feelings are definitely justified. And especially when, you know, now the wife of the king is the hand's daughter. He's go the hand is probably undermining her in a lot, lot of ways. Which he already was anyway. Yeah, I mean, again, I I understand that, but I still just feel like she's had, like, the people have no reason to believe in her. Like, she has nothing going on to, like, make her a legitimate heir as far as, like, in the people's eyes. And whether that's being forced on her from the council or her own choosing of removing herself... It's probably a little bit of both, and because we saw, right, like you said, in episode two, she was speaking up at a small council meeting, so she kind of got assigned to go choose a new Kingsguard. But it's really difficult, and this is one of the downsides of the way they're doing the show, it's really difficult yes. to know what's happening because we're not seeing it. Because That's it is the I time jump. Because mm -hmm. what that time jump does is it advances the plot, but at the cost of knowing character, how character development is working, knowing yeah. what's going on and being able to kind of know from episode to episode, whether it's a one day time jump is fine, you know, like that's typical or whatever. But when you jump three whole years, like you're left to wonder, like what has been happening to Renera over these last three years? And so that's where like it leads it up to interpretation and it makes it so unclear that you can't really have a concrete answer. Yeah, I think you hit it right there. That time jump, that's what I was thinking about when you were saying, like, we haven't seen her do anything or, like, reach the people. We don't know what she's done. Right. We're getting these very, like, microscopic views at her life. 
And so we can only take what we've seen in these and extrapolate it. And so I, I think that's really where it has done kind of a disservice to the characters. And I feel like right now it's been okay with the king, mm-hmm. but not for her and not for Damon. Right. I, I would agree with you there. Um, before we transition into talking about Damon, the one more thing I want to talk about is going back to that stag moment here, where when the king first heard that it was a white heart out in the woods, which was like the symbology of, or symbol of royalty in Westeros before the dragons came, mm-hmm. he's, the hand says to him, on today of all days, like, imagine that. And so... As we've seen Viserys, he has been one to believe in symbols, been one to believe in superstitions. He believed in his dream of having a son with a golden crown on his head that he had when he was younger. And he reveals to Alicent in this episode that the greatest gift of Targaryens isn't the dragon. It's that some Targaryens have prophetic visions And are able to see the future through certain means. And he's like, what's a dragon compared to the ability to dream, basically? Because they're called dreamers. So we know that Viserys is susceptible to, like, these mystical ideas. And I feel like when you see him hearing about the White Stag, all the events leading up to him actually killing the stag there... He's like, oh my gosh, Like, is this like the gods telling me Aegon should be my heir? And he's questioning himself, wondering if he made the wrong decision. And then when he finally does get to the hunting part where he kills the stag and sees it's just a stag, it's not anything special. He almost has like this sigh of relief and then questions his questioning and kind of comes back down on Rhaenyra's side. And has that tender heart-to-heart moment with her at the end of this part of the episode. Where he's like, I vow to you on your mother's memory. I am not trying to, to replace you. <clears throat> I love you. You're my daughter. You're going to be the, the queen of Westeros when I'm done. And doing everything in his power to reassure Rhaenyra of her position. And, like, I felt like that was a really nice moment. Oh, yeah. I love that um, interaction between them because I feel like that was, like I said before, mending the bridge. Hopefully now she can move on from being angsty. Yeah. So jumping now into Damon's. Until until, um, I think he gets murdered and his kid gets named heir from (laughs) the Queen Regent. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there's going to be some politicaling happening. Maybe a note left by him or some nonsense, you know? We'll see what happens. <laughs> you don't like my theories? <laughs> we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I know what happens. So uh, at least I know uh, what happens yeah, in true. Fire and Blood. So I, I'm not going to comment too far on That's fair. It's like that. when you were had theories in Sandman and I would listen to them and nod politely. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump yeah, over let's to, Damon to Damon here. And one... I had some questions for you about yeah, this yeah, I want to start with. So it was really interesting. One, the sea snake has like actually a pretty vast family. Right. Yeah. He's a very really big cool and ancient house as well. So House Valerian is a, is a powerful house. Yeah. And they're getting stumped by these people in caves, which makes sense because if they bring men in, 
they can just well i i guess i didn't understand why they couldn't have found another way to do this right they had the dragons overhead just shooting fire at the caves and then they just go in they like they just go in and if they're in caves those caves end correct well, I'll just say this. Using a real-world analogy, if you think about what happened when the U.S. military invaded Afghanistan and the Taliban yeah. went into the caves there, you know, it's not always the quote-unquote superior military might that can do that. When you know your terrain, when you know your own yeah. uh, environment there, that gives you an advantage. And by hiding in the caves, it takes away the greatest weapon of the opposing force, which is the dragon. Well... I th- this is where I would have was thinking like why don't why didn't they just have the dragon like drop rocks into the front of the cave or like you know cave in some of the caves so that way they they got trapped in there you know because of plot but uh, that that's neither <laughs> here nor there I guess that's just me sort of like galaxy branding it um, I did have another uh, observation though that I thought was really interesting was that there was there's more than just Damon and Renera as dragon riders yes so you got to remember that. Princess Rainies, who is Corlys Valerian's wife, was the other option for the heir to the Iron Throne instead of Viserys. So she has her own dragon, Rainies does. Her children have Targaryen blood. They would be given dragon eggs at their birth. And so you see her son there. I, I forget his name. Oh my gosh, I know it starts with an L. But you see Quos Valerian and, and Rhaenys' son riding a dragon, being a dragon-riding commander in the army here. And that is the character that the one uh, king's council member was proposing Rhaenyra marries. Interesting. It's just, I guess I never thought about how, like, you know, we're, we're only used to seeing one Targaryen, right? Yeah, and yeah. So, so th- and during this time... There's many Targaryens, or at least you know multiple, not yeah, not many maybe, but so it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens uh, as we continue forward, like what other Targaryen houses there might be, yeah, like, even if they're slightly removed, and like it'd be really neat if they got into a little bit more of like who gets a dragon and who doesn't, right? Like, and also too, not all of them grow up to be dragon riders. Very true. So what happens if like they put a, if dragon eggs in there with them and it doesn't hatch then they're not a dragon rider right? I guess Pretty that's much, yeah. It so it's Leonor Valerian is the name of the son there, and okay. So just going to what you were talking about there. Remember in episode two when Damon said, "Oh, I'm married again. I'm having a baby again. I took this dragon egg to do this." They were like, "No, no, 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 Damon. That's not how this is gonna work." So I feel like. The exception, because it's usually just Targaryens that get it, but the exception was probably made for Laenor uh, Valyrian here because of who his mother was at the time. She was either the uh, the queen that never was or the um, heir to the Iron Throne, where it was she was the daughter of Jaehaerys and everything, so... We will uh, explore that a little bit more if it's fleshed out farther, depending on who does and does not have more babies in, uh, <laughs> in the season here. But that is a yeah. very good point to bring up. And we don't know if Aegon has a dragon or not. 
Oh yes, we don't we don't technically know that yet. That is very true. Has not been announced, but how it typically works is the egg is placed in the cradle with the child, and like because of that, they kind of form like a bond, like through you know mystical means and everything, and go from there. Um, but getting into what actually happens in this part of the episode, I thought it was important to note that this is th again three years after the last episode. And Damon and Corliss Valerian have basically become stuck in this quagmire that they cannot win. And despite their superior military might, they're stuck. They can't, they can't wipe out the crab feeder. All they can do is like do little random skirmish attacks and then get sent away by a hail of arrows. And I thought that this part here was very interesting when how Damon reacted to the news that his brother was going to be sending forces. So what was like your impression of, of that part, that scene? Obviously, like he just has the resentment towards his brother seems to have grown. And I want to yeah. know why, like I knew they were in like a weird space in the last episode, but I didn't know it was to the point of downright. I would rather die than accept help from you type deal. Right. Uh, he just looks at it as, like, this gigantic slight to, like, himself, mm -hmm. to his honor, to, like, his perceived station. Because he views himself as, like, I should be king next. Like, I'm, you know, I'm your brother. I was your original heir. Like, you cast me out and supplanted me. And kind of like the council is doing for uh, Renera uh, here. The council in the show here has done something similar to Damon, where they put him from place to place to place because of how cruel Damon can be, how much he demands out of the people. And his reaction of basically saying, I'd rather die than accept help from from you. Like, this is my moment, my glory. I'm using, I started this war basically, to assert my claim to the Iron Throne. And he's like, I cannot let the Iron Throne and my brother be the ones that settle this. I need to do this. So, like, that's why he goes off on the messenger. That's why he goes and goes on the, the suicidal mission to try to single-handedly take out the Crab Feeder, which is successful. Um... But all of that was stemming from the need for him to succeed. Yeah. And I, I liked how... I liked loved the action there and Damon running in. Now, I think he probably would have died, honestly. Like, probably, yes. If we're being honest, yeah. <laughs> all those arrows, like, I'm sorry. Like, you'd be dead. But it was really cool. I wish we had kind of seen his, uh, you know, interaction with the crab feeder seen because like I, I never got the impression that the crab feeder was strong super no. strong in any way I shape or think form of, i don't know if you noticed this or not but the crab feeder never had any spoken dialogue mm. so like the reason they didn't show it is because it was basically already settled as soon as the battle started like you knew damon was going to win there was no way this character who has yeah. not said a sentence is going to kill damon so ignoring that part and focusing on the rest of the battle where you're seeing cool visual effects in a awesome fight sequence going on 
and then seeing Damon just dragging the severed torso of the crab feeder out of the caves, mm-hmm. covered in blood, just like I thought that was a very, very cool way to do it, and I thought that it would have been a waste to like make us fear that Damon was going to die because we all knew he wasn't going to. Well, I didn't say I didn't think he was going to die, but I would have almost liked just a little bit of like a villain speech narrating kind of why he was doing what he was doing type deal maybe trying to sway Damon not to kill him and, mm. you know, Damon thinking about it and then just cutting him in half or something, you know, just maybe a little bit of that. But you're right, it was very visually appealing the way they did it. That's just me because I want to just know everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Overall, though, I this is probably my favorite episode of the season so far. Agreed. Um, I think we had a lot of really cool developments and I think it's going to really catapult us... Hopefully not forward another three years, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm very interested to see, like, if we do have another time jump here. Because we're getting to the point where we're getting we're getting close to the, uh, to the opening moves of the dance. And I, I, the more we're watching this, the more episodes that keep coming out, the more I'm thinking we're going to get there before the start of the season, before the end of the season. And um, I think that next episode will start to reveal some very interesting things going on here. Um, but again, I'm going to be interested to see like if we have more time jumps or not. Do you know how many episodes are going to be this season? I would assume 10. I don't know yeah. for a fact. Um, I can always... I'll look it up, though, and we can talk about that another time if you want. It's, no, it's all good. <laughs> Don't have to worry about it. I just, I was curious if you knew off the top of your head there, but yeah, overall, you know, House of the Dragon has been good so far. Really uh, liked the progression. Um, not such a big fan of the time jump, but love the acting. Matt Smith is killing it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So there are going to be 10 episodes for House of the Dragon season one, and I completely agree with everything you just said. I think that the time jump is one of the more annoying things about the series so far, but Matt Smith, um, the actress that plays Renera, uh, uh, the actor the that plays King Viserys, they're all very the strong. The wife of the king, too, I feel like is, like, you know, in, in her own way, a very strong actress, too. Very coming across as, like, caring and motherly. Mm. And I think there's going to be a little bit more steel behind her than we realize. But we'll see. All right, so with all of that, this is going to be Two Nerds signing off. See ya. Goodbye.